Today's episode of Content Academy is brought to you by this service called Grift. So you could call it a, I guess you could call it a rideshare service. Um, so when you're thinking rideshare, you're thinking, oh, Uber, you're thinking Lyft, you're thinking, I don't know, taxi. Who's going to take me to the airport? Yeah. Well, who's going to take you to your next crime? That's when you download the Grift app. G-R-Y-F-T, yeah, Grift. So it's like Lyft, but it's mm-hmm. Grift. So if mm-hmm. you're ever, you know, committing a crime, these days it's really hard to find a getaway driver. Um, well, apps were originally designed to make things easier, right? So this is the app for making crime easier right i think also to extend that apps were made to make crime more accessible yeah exactly and so this is kind of combining both um josh i think you recently used this app didn't you uh some say that i have don't worry the app makes you Uh, completely anonymous josh right right we just want to hear about the the grift experience you don't have to go into details about the crime well, if, if I had used Grift, I would say that it was very easy to use. Uh-huh. Uh, I would say that my driver was very polite. Mm-hmm. He was wearing a Richard Nixon mask. Mm-hmm. Uh, he only spoke in one syllable words. Yeah, okay. That's key. Mm-hmm. That's good. I know all the Grift drivers go through some pretty rigorous background checks. Um, so they have to have like at least a felon on their record yeah. for them to <laughs> to be hired. Yeah. Uh, and then you can rate you 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 can rate your your driver. Um, you know, so it's in that way it's still really similar to platforms like Lyft and Uber. So it should yeah. be it's a real seamless transition. Um, they're very they're on time, they're quick. Uh, they give you a nice five-minute window to go do your crime, yeah. and then uh, they can drive you to your next one or to your hideout. Yeah. Um, and drive you to the pier or the docks, you know, where. Right. Mm-hmm. As we all know, a lot of crimes take place. Uh huh. And then yeah. all the drivers for Griff, they they have cars that are bulletproof and extra large trunks in the back to. Yeah. Store yeah, whatever you need to store. Stuff. Mostly Chevy Impalas. Most yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you so check it out. Yeah, mm-hmm. if you've seen um, like Drive or Baby Driver, Drive or its sequel, Baby Driver. <laughs> I thought this sounds more like a prequel, to be honest. It's a prequel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Just face value. I think it's there's, pretty cool. So there's Baby Driver. It's it's the weirdest series ever. There's Baby Driver, there's Drive, and then there's Driver San Francisco or whatever. Well, there's Drive Angry. Oh, okay, yeah. So it's kind of a fork will. Yeah. If you will. Yeah. So, I mean, what else can you say about it, really? Um, I'm trying. It's so yeah. easy to use. We don't use. condone committing crimes, but yeah. you know, if you're in that position, mm-hmm. you have to. Yeah, exactly. 
and the um the so the way you like you like pay on the thing is like duffel bags of money right so yeah it doesn't you use cannot like pay over that or something yeah you have to you you have to pay in duffel bags of money and they have to be all non-sequential bills yeah whatever that means so they can't be like one <laughs> two three yeah we don't know what that means yeah of course so like say we don't condone we don't condone any crimes but you know say you're being blackmailed by the mob and you have to do one last job for them yeah okay exactly. yeah okay well first you get the team together obviously yeah, yeah exactly uh and then you know you get all of the gadgets you get the weapons you pick the mark and then you get grift you and bongo you music yeah you have like the power yeah, in your hotel room exactly you get the blueprints Everybody's on board. I will also say, you know, sometimes I've just used Grift in a pinch, not after a crime, but maybe I just need to, uh, you know, get out from the grocery store real quick. Yeah. You know, and they're there. Yeah. And I just kind of act like I stole stuff and they don't ask questions. And I always have <laughs> double bags of money on me. You guys know that. Yeah. yeah. So right. it's just like, you know what? This is so much faster and easier than Uber. Yeah. I think it's more worthwhile to pretend I like I acted like I did a crime. Yeah. And get out of there. Yeah. And just, you know. Yeah. Pay in some unmarked bills and then we're good to go. Yeah, it's kind of like those things where like you like in the snowstorm call the ambulance, they can't get there. Call the police, they can't get there. Order pizza, they're there in 30 minutes or less. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and also, so you know, like Uber and Lyft require masks to be worn. Grift requires ski masks to be worn. So, yeah, ski masks or Richard Nixon masks, yeah. hockey masks or clown masks. All work. As long as you've got one, yeah. Yeah. All right. All well, right. that's Grift. Um, make sure to check it out. So it's Sunday again. That means it's time to get the content crew back together for another 45 minutes of edu educational entertainment. So we've got Josh and Jordan here. What's up? And um, so today we're going to be doing something different. We're finally done talking about video games. So our next little series. I mean, we're never really done, but That's a good for point. the series, yes. Yeah. Our next kind of thing we're going to be talking about is crime, really. So mm -hmm. um, here in a little bit, George is going to talk to us about a notable crime that happened you may not have heard about. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about this week's news. Yes, let's crack into these headlines. Let's do it. So... Legendary comedian Norm Macdonald died of cancer this week at age 61. Yeah, very sad. Um, rest in peace, Norm. Mm -hmm. Personally, I always just assumed that he would die in a freak skydiving accident. Yeah. Not that he would be skydiving, but that someone would land on him. Hmm. <laughs> be some some way of dying that um, you could only like tell a really long, convoluted story about to get right. to the end. Yeah. yeah, yeah, 
but no, it's just regular cancer. Yeah, uh, IKEA has announced. I... Hold on, hold on. Okay, a sec. I've got a really quick yeah. question. I'm sorry to interrupt. Why are all these freaks skydiving? <laughs> you and landing in all these inopportune places. You hear all the time about these freak skydiving incidents. Yeah, anyway. it's true. Well, there are freaks lawn mowing their lawns. There are freaks, yeah. <laughs> you know, driving boats around. Yeah, all over Florida. Yeah, Florida is full of freaks. All right. Uh, so. Another IKEA headline for you. IKEA has announced a new line of gaming items, including desks, chairs, and other accessories. Have you heard about this, Alex? Mm. Hmm. Yeah, and their their food cart their food court will also start selling gaming meatballs. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Because they have their famous meatballs yeah. there. Right. You know how like... I've never actually eaten them. You know how at Ikea they have, like, the mock, like, living room displays? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Basically, they'll have, like, in place of, like, game consoles and DVD players, they have, like, fake... Cardboard box? I don't know, cardboard versions of them. Mm-hmm. They should make, like, a real, I don't know, cardboard gaming console or something. Oh, it's made out of cardboard? Well, they kind of, they did the Nintendo hot. Labo. That's true. Is that, yeah. That's like the closest thing. That's pretty close. Yeah. In collaboration <laughs> with IKEA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess it would kind of have to be like a gaming PC because you have to build it yourself. Yeah. And you're looking for the L bracket somewhere. I mean, that's right out of IKEA's playbook. Yeah, exactly. Ennis Villanubi has drawn backlash from Marvel fans <laughs> after claiming that their movies quote, turn us into zombies and are, quote, too much cut and paste. In related news, they're making a seventh Spider-Man movie. <laughs> so, so Dennis got... So he, he got some some guff for, like, saying that about Marvel. Mm -hmm. Somebody had to say it. Yeah, somebody had to. In that same interview, he also praised the choice of Chloe Zhao as the director for the Eternals, though. He, apparently, he's a big fan of hers. Okay. Hmm. So I'm and that, that movie Marvel, does look more cinematic than the Marvel other Marvel is movies. Taking his criticism to heart. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like. Mm hmm. Um, it's also worth mentioning that. The movie is strangely called Eternals, not The Eternals. Mm -hmm. Right. If you think about it. For a long time, I thought it was called The Internals. See, that's, that's different. different. <laughs> that's like... Um... That would be and like I thought it was going to be one of those like magic, family yeah, magic yeah, school family bus style. Yeah, or uh, that, that one movie with Inner space, thank you. Yeah. yeah. With what's his name? Honey, I shrunk the kids. We really need yeah, somewhere, something in that vein. We really need an updated, like, a contemporary body adventure. Wasn't that Ant Man? We really do. 
No, he doesn't no, really go he just, he just shrinks. He doesn't he just shrink. inside anybody. Mm -hmm. Well, I think we're going to... Isn't there going to be like a new planet or magic school bus? There's a yes. Series. Yeah. With Elizabeth yeah. Banks, right? Uh, I yeah, I think so. Adventure. It's like Miss Frizz's little sister takes over. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Getting out track. Anyway. President Biden announced a new security alliance with Britain and Australia this week, which will equip Australia with nuclear-powered submarines. Until now, Australia's submarines were powered by Vegemite and profanity. <laughs> I thought you were going to say marsupials. That's funny. That's or like cool. all of their submarines had pouches. No, they're crewed by marsupials. <laughs> oh, okay. That makes sense. So when I think Vegemite, I think it's like toothpaste or something, right? No. They no. come in a... I think you can get them in little in tubes, tube? but I think mostly they're in little jars, like baby food style jars, aren't they? Yeah, it's it's like this yeast, yeasty spread. It's supposed to be like super salty, right? It's very savory. Yeah, I've never had it. I don't think I've ever had it. It'd be cool to try it. Yeah. I would try it. Mm -hmm. That's the right thing in first school. That's not something they have at Outback, right? <laughs> Outback Steakhouse? I doubt it. You know, in Australia, they just call it Steakhouse. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. And then they Outback, have... they just do... Like... The thing about Outback is all of their food is actually made of onions. <laughs> Blaming oh, onions. Interesting. <laughs> I don't think it's actually Australian food there. It's no, something. It's I don't think it's not Australian food, though. It's something. It's uh, something. On, a, yeah. on a lighter note, it's fashion week, people. More like fashion yes. bleak, am I right? Oh my gosh, tell me about it. Uh, oh man. This year's parade of sex offenders and tax avoiders lit up Met Gala red carpet <laughs> with a buffet of blunders in every color of the rainbow. Oh my god. Uh, Elliot Page forgot to have his tux tailored. Maisie Williams was goth Betty Boop. Oh, no. Grimes had a sword. Megan Fox had bangs. Uh, but the clear winner of the night was Schitt's Creek star Dan Levy, who showed up in what can only be described as Mercator Projection erotic fan art. <laughs> the Emperor is well aware that he has no clothes. What are you going to do about it, you fucking peasant? Tell him he's beautiful. You have no choice. The world is on fire and Kamala Harris's stepdaughter is wearing Stella McCartney. Retweet. Um... <laughs> that was beautiful. That headline was a work of art. Oh my god. Thank you. Yeah, wow. yeah you guys need to look up uh, Dan Levy's stuff. outfit. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now and it's also a work of art. Yeah. Yeah. How dare you criticize that? <laughs> I'd wear those boots. I'm all over it. Um... I, I did like so Grimes' outfit, and Timothy Chalamet's outfit was pretty cool. Too. I did see Timothy's. He's he's always looking good. What did he wear as Spider-Man? Like, did he wear his? Yeah, he had the um. He, well, he had a, like his little camera, and he had, uh, you know, like. Oh, because he's just the Peter Parker backpack. Yeah. Uh... But that's it for the news this week. That's pretty, that, that was really funny. That was great. All right, cool. Georgia, take it away. 
Uh, hold on, I'm looking at best and worst dress from the Met Gala. So you just have to wait a minute while I check out. Kiki Palmer's looking good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Kendall Jenner looks like she's from a movie. Yeah. The thing I like about the Met Gala is there's always a theme to it, but no one ever uses the theme. Except for maybe, like, Lady Gaga. The theme this year was America. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever that means. I think uh, Billie Eilish looks amazing. Yeah, she was great. She did a very Marilyn Monroe type look, so mm -hmm. she nailed it. Yeah, she looked great. And Lil Nas looks great. Oh yeah, he was Some like kind of uh, like C three PO Power Ranger C three PO action going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so got that out of the way. I had to address that. Okay, so this week. I'm coming at you with a new report about some crimes. This one, um, it's one of the biggest scandals in sport. Um, Probably the, the biggest. Sports. I don't Sports is a lot of scandals. We could actually just do this whole series about sports scandals. Yeah. To be honest. But That's this true. one um, is uh, the 1919 world series between the uh chicago white Sox and the cincinnati reds um okay. it is the most publicized fixed game uh in baseball there certainly were fixed games before and after the 1919 world series but this one just kind of really made the most headlines and had had a big impact um due to various cultural factors and just the um the the time in which it took place and we'll kind of see how how that comes together <clears throat> so the fixing of the 1919 world series between the white Sox and the reds uh there might not ever be like a hundred percent true retelling of the story it is over a hundred years old so we are pretty far removed from anybody who's actually there um and the research done at the time does create this really like compelling narrative. And there were there's a book and a movie about it called Eight Men Out. Uh, the book's by Elliot Asimov, and the movie um, came out um, in 1988 and has like it has Charlie Sheen, um, Christopher Lloyd, John Cusack in it. Um, it actually looks like a good movie, and it, but it is a very like stylized retelling of it, and it kind of goes with the sensationalized mm -hmm. version of events. Uh, but some recent research that came out kind of within the last four years or so um, shed some new light on uh, what were previously considered to be the fact. Is Chris in that movie? Is Christopher Lloyd like, Marty, we've got to fix the World Series, Marty? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I would like to think that um, it is Doc, and he went back in time <laughs> yeah. to like, yeah. you know, help throw the game. Yeah. And what I what I mean by like fix or throw the game is um, purposefully altering the outcome for the benefit of gambling on or betting on it. So predetermining the outcome essentially. So who would be who the definition. was supposed to lose? Who was supposed to win and who was supposed to lose in it? Right. So the White Sox were supposed to lose. They were supposed to fix the game, throw it so that they lose. Okay. We'll, we'll get into that. So first, I'm going to kind of go through some of the characters 
and we'll we'll touch on them more and how they how they fit in. Um, but first is C. Arnold Chick Gandel. Um, he was the White Sox first baseman. Um, he was the first player involved in the scheme, and he recruited uh, the following teammates. We have um, Eddie Seacott, who's the pitch, who's a pitcher. Claude Lefty Williams, another pitcher for the Sox. Charles Swede Risberg, who is the shortstop, and then Oscar Hap or Happy Felt, uh, who is an outfield outfielder, and then Shoeless Joe Jackson, who is the power hitter uh, for the White Sox. And he actually, um, there's a lot of uh, kind of controversy there, uh, and I'll kind of get into that later on Shoeless Joe's involvement. Uh, and then also, he just wanted the, to get some shoes. He just wants some shoes, man. No, um, there's also, shoes. <laughs> seriously, there's also Joseph Sport Sullivan. Uh, he's a sports gambler and a known associate of Gandals. Um, Sullivan recruited the following to raise uh, the bribe money used um, to pay off the players. Uh, former Sox player Sleepy Bill Burns. Former Detroit Tiger uh, Bill Maharg, and then former boxer Abe Attell, who worked with Gandal to deliver the bribe. Like Attell was kind of the the gatekeeper for for the money. Uh, there's also a rumor rumored involvement of Arnold Rothstein, a leader of the New York Mob at the time, but um, it's never really been been proven. Some accounts of the story have his involvement like really heavily, really have him involved, and others. Um, don't really mention it at all. So it's kind of debatable. Um, and then there's also Charles Comiskey, who's the White Sox, White Sox team owner. Um, he was regarded as the miserly penny pincher. And I kind of picture him as like a human Mr. Krabs. Just kind of that kind of character. Yeah. Money so money. leading up... Exactly. Exactly. So leading up to the 1919 World Series, the Sox were one of the best teams in baseball and had been on top for, for quite a while. Uh, they experienced a dip during World War I. Um, some of the players had been enlisted to the surface, uh, to the service, but um, the lineup going into the 1919 season was really impressive with Shoeless Joe, the star player of, of the team. Um, Back then, a baseball season had 140 games versus today's 162. And then going into the World Series, the Sox were 88 and 52 uh, and were about seven to five favorites for, for winning the championship. Mm. Um, also, this series, I don't remember if I make mention of it later, but they were doing a, um, a new format where it's like a best of nine series. Nowadays, it's best of seven. But they were doing a best of nine. I, can't imagine I know. A best of nine. <laughs> well, nobody had really anything now. to do, guys. That's nobody true. had anything to do. <laughs> yeah. And um, as and they had to later, listen to these on the radio. <laughs> staring at the radio, hoping it turns into a TV. <laughs> um, no, and I we'll talk about this later. But uh, baseball was very linked to newspapers at the time, so they're really trying to drive up like um, selling more mm. papers. Obviously, selling more tickets um, by trying to do this nine series game instead of the normal seven. I don't know how long the nine thing lasted, but obviously, we're not doing it these days. Yeah. Um, despite the Sox being so successful, there was really high tensions within the team, mostly against the owner, Charlie Kaminsky. Um, it was rumored that Kaminsky was such a cheapskate that he refused to have the team's uniforms laundered regularly which gave them the nickname the Black Sox, 
due to oh, their like, I think I've heard of that before because I right? can't watch the um, Yeah, but that name, the Black Sox, would stick to the eight men ultimately kind of blamed for the scandal. They were known as the Black mm-hmm. Sox. Um, comparatively, their opponents, the Cincinnati Reds, had only recently come into success um, on the field. They hadn't had a good season since 1900 um, before winning the National League pennant in 1919. So they were the NL National League team. Mm-hmm. Sox were the American League team going into this. Um, they just came under new management and they had a really strong starting lineup, uh, but we're still considered the underdogs you know, versus kind of the reigning king, the White Sox. Um, there's some debate on how the whole thing got started. Um, some say the Sox were tired of being underpaid by Comiskey. And this is kind of where um, the, the old version of events, based on research at the time, conflicts with what we're now finding out. Because um, by all accounts, the Sox were the highest paid team in baseball at the time. They were already making fantastic money compared to everybody else. Um, others say Comiskey cheated p- pitcher Eddie Seacott out of a $10,000 bonus for winning 30 games. Um, by uh, having him pulled like after the 29th win. Um, oh, I know, funny. which is the thing in the movie. <laughs> like I said, like all of these like like myths is basically what they are. They make for a really great story, but the, they don't really hold yeah. up. But I'm sure they make for like a fantastic movie. I might watch the movie. Um, but it, the, and it, they also said that like Comiskey may have had some other kind of shady, you know, contract deals with, with some other players. So who knows what really went on. Um, most likely it was just greed and envy from reported payouts of earlier fixed games. Cause like I said, this is not the first time this has happened by a long shot. Um, it's just the most kind of publicized one, but for whatever reason, most accounts agree that it was Chick Gandel's idea to throw the series. And he served as kind of the middleman between um, professional gambler, sports Sullivan and the other players involved. Um, each conspirator, and this is crazy, were supposed to receive um, $100,000 in five installments, basically one after each loss. Um, in today's money, that translates to $1.5 million per player. Yeah, I was like, I like had to double check the numbers because I was like, that's a lot of money. Um, ultimately, no player made off with about $10,000 with more than $10,000, except for Gandil, because uh, he pocketed most of the payoffs and he um, he made about 35000 which is equal to like almost 500000 That's today. so weird, though, because like maybe it's just it goes to show how much we pay athletes now, because like now paying an athlete a million dollars is like nothing. Yeah, I know. And this, um, like I mentioned, the Sox were already like the best paid team yeah in the league um they were already making about like a hundred thousand dollars for a season and so again with greed coming into play this is a way for them to make an entire season salary off of like five games yeah so i could see how some of them were like sure you know like we could easily like lose on purpose yeah and we're fine also it's worthwhile to say um some of these players like eddie and chick they were already like um kind of old at the time like in their 30s which i know with baseball you can kind of play a bit longer than some other Mm -hmm. sports but 
they were kind of peaking a little bit um, or worried that after, a, you know, in a couple short years, they wouldn't be as, as on top of their game. Yeah. So it's kind of worth all to say. Yeah. Um, Sports Sullivan sold bets on the throne game, like wherever he could make a buck. And so rumors spread really fast about the rigged championship. Uh, when the Sox and the Reds met for the first of nine games on October 1st, 1919, Eddie Seacott was the pitcher and he hit the batter with one of his first pitches, which was supposedly a signal that the fix was on. He hit the batter. Uh, the game ended nine to one with the Reds on top. Uh, and I saw some footage of this and it's just like, um, like from uh, the Smithsonian had some like colorized Oh, but wow. it was just kind of cool. And yeah, they're just kind of like bumbling around. Um, so it's like super obvious that they were not doing good. Um, Seacott had been paid his first installment up front the night before, which was smart of him. The other players demanded their cut afterwards. But A. Battelle, that boxer uh, who had the payouts, he withheld the money, basically saying, like, you know, this could have been a fluke. You know, you're not going to get paid until we know. Yeah. Is gonna, you're gonna lose. Okay. So you know that was kind of a point of contention. Uh, the second game ended with a loss for the Sox, just as planned. Uh, but the conspirators were growing restless. Most of them mm -hmm. hadn't seen a dime of the promised payout. Uh, the White Sox won Game Three mostly thanks to rookie pitcher Dick Kerr, who was not in on the fix. Because remember, there's only like eight guys in on it. Um, and he was generally disliked by the so-called Black Sox. Uh, game four got the scam, the scam back on track with a 2-0 win for the Reds. And Swede Risberg, Hap Felch, and Lefty Williams received a portion of the Reds, finally. Uh, the Reds won game five really easily, thanks to more purposeful blunders by the Sox. No doubt fueled by like finally seeing some of the money that they were owed. Uh, and now the Reds were one game away from winning the series. So we're getting down down to the wire here. Mm. All right. So next is when things get interesting. So Dickie Kerr started for the Sox again for game six. The score was four and four until an extra inning decided the game in the Sox favor. So this went to 10 innings, giving Chicago its second win. <clears throat> Some say this was because like some of the players in on the fix were getting cold feet or like decided not to do it. Um, and the, and like, this was like a point in the movie also where like, and another kind of one of the myths at the time that like some of the players were like, you know, screw sports Sullivan and Jake Gandalf. We're going to win it. We're going to come back and win it. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. kind of like rallying point, but I, yeah, I don't think that was actually the case. Um, for game seven, Cincinnati actually played a bad game and lost four to one, uh, making Sport Sullivan and his conspirators uneasy. Um, and then allegedly Arnold, Ro Arnold Rothstein had beat had a bet $270,000 on Cincinnati winning the series. And there is a story about Lefty Williams receiving death threats, like um, if the fix was blown. Um, but that could be a myth also. Mm. And that was another plot point, like, in the book and the movie, that, like, they were getting threats because they weren't losing. So, again, really good storytelling, yeah. but I don't, I don't think it actually, actually happened. Um, eventually, um, let's see. 
Game eight went to the Reds with a 10 to five victory and that sealed their fate as the winners of the 1990 World Series, their first ever World Series title. Um, after the championship was over, rumors of the fix continued to spread. Sports journalism was pretty mixed, torn between keeping America's pastime a clean and wholesome brand versus uncovering like ugly, the ugly corrupt side of the sport. Uh, many newspapers were that fellows with team owners, like I said before, so critical coverage of the scandal was dismissed or buried. Uh, so it was very much like covered up. The biggest article article about the fix was written by Hugh Fullerton. Um, and the first things that he wrote really kind of only vaguely implied that like maybe the Sox like didn't like do their best. Um, but other competing sports writers labeled Fullerton as like ignorant of the sport. And as Fullerton kind of dove more into the scandal, the Chicago Herald refused to publish any of his stories. And also Charlie Comiskey like publicly denied and denounced any rumors of the fix. He was just like, totally like, nah, my boys are innocent, that kind of thing. Um, eventually, some of the players admitted to their roles in throwing the game. Uh, one of the non-Sox gamblers was the first to go public, Bill Maharg. He was a former Detroit Tiger. Um, Eddie Seacott eventually agreed to testify before a grand jury, admitting to his part in the scandal, followed by Shoeless Joe, Lefty Williams, and Happy Felch. Um, and this is where, like, it started getting really interesting for me, just how it was treated afterwards. Because um, even after the players admitted guilt, many reporters chose to emphasize the rumored role of Arnold Rothstein of the Jewish Mafia. And instead of criticizing the so-called Black Sox, they preyed upon the growing anti-Semitism of the time. Yeah. And that was that turned out to be a huge thing. Um, in October of 1920, so a full year after all this happened, the Black Sox were indicted on nine counts of conspiracy. The trial was practically its own scandal. Um, all of the paper records of the players' confessions disappeared under mysterious circumstances, which is also a huge thing in the movie. Uh, but in real life, it really didn't matter because they were pieced together again from stenographer shorthand so they didn't really like need them um ultimately it didn't really change the outcome all of the white Sox involved in the 1919 world series fix were found not guilty on all counts on august 2nd 1921 so all of them get off right <laughs> so all good to go but despite the acquittal judge Kennesaw Mountain Landis, and that is his name. It is not Kennesaw Mountain Landis, like his nickname <laughs> was Mountain. His name was Kennesaw Mountain Landis, um, who was baseball's first commissioner. And I only learned recently that every sport has a commissioner, apparently. I don't know. Um, the NBA has one. Yeah. They all have them. I don't know. What do they Just, do? Um, well, what do commissioners do, Josh? I don't know. Thinking like they commission things. Commission, like they're kind of like a um, kind of in charge of keeping the law or the rules. Gonna yeah, commissioner gonna commission. What are you gonna do? But anyway, he banished all eight players permanently from the sport of organized baseball, which effectively destroyed their careers. Wow. Um, yeah, some players tried to win reinstallment, um, claiming that they were like unwilling participants or had dropped out before it began, um, but nobody ever won. 
Commissioner Landis made sure of it. Um, media coverage continued, but still most of it was about the influence of Jewish gangsters, especially Rothstein, uh, who was never charged with a crime. He was never actually linked. Um, it was really like this whole media circus during the trial and afterwards, it painted the Black Sox as like, like boys, like boy men who had been like duped into this by these evil Jews or these sports gamblers and like no blame was, was placed on them. So just going off of the coverage at the time, it's also hard to figure out like, okay, who really was more duped or like tricked and who was a very willing participant. Um, and going back to Shoeless Joe, he actually performed really well the whole series. He had, he actually like had the only home run the whole series. Um, he like held a record for some baseball stat until like 1964. I don't know. And a lot of people say that he should be put in the baseball hall of fame. Like they should disregard his involvement. Some people say he was illiterate and was taken advantage of. Um, but again, it is just kind of like, and to media do all that without yeah. any shoes to do all like he probably literally had black socks yeah because there's no shoes <laughs> no so um is i think that that is the more interesting part to me to see how these men were like coddled um yeah during this whole thing and i again going back to the footage that i was able to see like all these men at the trial around the trial they're all just smiling and like, I'm not gonna get in trouble. This is fine. It's just, it was just kind of unsettling to to watch. Yeah, it was it was weird. But like I said, none of them were ever found guilty. It's just their careers in baseball were over. So, and since then, there I'm sure there have been other baseball fixes and other sports fixes. But this one will go down in history forever. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, I know. My yeah. my view kind of on that that whole World Series, it just seems like a regular series of baseball games to me. Like, it's so hard to tell when a team is... I feel like it'd be hard to tell when a team is throwing or if they're just playing a game of baseball. Yeah. Well, and that's... um Again, like... It's, it can be so hard to tell, but that first game where the Sox lost nine to one, they were just playing stupid because you got to think like Eddie Seacott was like the best pitcher yeah, that's you know guy with the ball that's pretty... yeah or just like um, they uh, like missed on um, doing like a um, what is it like when they do a double play. Um, they do the thing where like two outfielders are both going for the ball and they run into each other. <laughs> That would have been great, but but no. Um, I watched one outfield the little, was like, just like lying down in the outfield with a butterfly on his nose, right? Or like doing that thing that I used to do in softball, where you're just kind of drawn in the dirt. Yeah, instead, yeah. you know, classic. Um, I watched the the drunk history episode on this, and I honestly I don't know what I was expecting because. I mean, sometimes the drunk history ones are pretty accurate, but this was just all of the more, um, yeah. uh, what is it? All of the more uh, like theatrical versions of the yeah. storytelling, whereas where like the players got death threats and Comiskey was 
a miser who didn't pay his 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 team uh, and didn't wash their uniforms and again and it all makes for a great story but really it's just a bunch it's like eight greedy white men who got treated as innocent little boys and i mean thankfully kind of saw mountain was there to was and was like nope you're never playing again but yeah also thank you, fun thank you kind of saw mountain you i mean you were also responsible for not um integrating baseball sooner but thank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah so whatever so that was you win, the, some, that was, you lose some. You win some you really lose some but <laughs> you know thanks for not letting these eight guys ever play again yeah that's great anyway so that was fun to research because again i i do nothing about it yeah and it's a wild story and i can't believe it was like over 100 years ago <laughs> weird to think. yeah yeah that is seems like a long time ago all right cool yeah um, so the crime aspect of that kind of comes in the form of like doing something you're not supposed to for your own personal gain. Is that not crime? Yeah, I mean, I think that's crime. Well, it's not much. like they were, they weren't like stealing per se. They weren't like hurting people per se, but. Except for the one batter who got hit. That's true. <laughs> What about that guy? I, I tried think, to find interviews yeah. with like, like uh, on the Reds side, because I would hate to think like what they thought. Like, here are these underdogs who are like, yeah, we finally won, and yeah. then find out like, you they mean you guys what? weren't stupid? You were doing this on purpose. <laughs> so that's gotta feel awful. I know, yeah. right? I, I do think beaning someone with a baseball should be a crime, though. <laughs> I think it happens a lot, but yeah, should be a crime. Care. Be more careful. <laughs> Funny. All right. So what? What? What crime are we gonna talk about next week? Um, a lot to choose from. There are a lot to choose from. There's the um, there's that one guy who like parachuted out of a plane with like forty thousand dollars. DB Cooper, right? Yeah. yeah DB Cooper. Um. See, it's also hard to find crimes that also haven't been podcasted about. I was almost done with this one and then found out that it was a podcast. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, with us, you get the the abridged and funny version. Exactly. So stay yeah. tuned. <laughs> I'll figure out something for next week. You want to do next week? Probably. Okay. Sounds good to All me. Right. Cool. Well. And is that it? Is that a wrap? Yeah. Thanks for listening. Blast dismissed. Yep. See you guys next week.